My, my cousin Mike, I idolized my cousin Mike when I was in high school. He was an athlete. He was on the track team, the football team, the basketball team, the everything team, and he was like just amazing, and he loved God. And when he was in high school, he got a call to become a pastor, and he went off to seminary in Texas, and the church where he and Lisa got married uh, their pastor left and took another church just as Mike was finishing seminary. And they, they came to Mike and they said, Mike, come home. Be our pastor. We couldn't think of anything better than to have you as our pastor. Come, come back. And so he did. And he showed up. And, and what he didn't know as a high schooler and college student when he was part of that church was that church had kind of a, a rough underbelly. And there was a man named Doc. Everybody called him Doc. I'll call him Doc Wilson. I don't want you to know his real name. But he had a very controlling personality. And he liked it to be the case that the pastor of that church was more or less a puppet of what he wanted and how he wanted things done. And my cousin found out, as they say in the South, right quick, that's how things were at Grace Church. It's always the church with the name Grace. I don't know why, okay? So... One Sunday, he found himself in a church meeting, and Doc stood up, made a motion that they dismiss, that they have a vote of confidence. It was a Baptist congregation. That's how they do things. And everybody knew where Doc stood, and so everybody kind of got in line, whether they liked Mike or not, and they, held, they gave Mike his hat, showed him the door. And that was his first church experience. Most recently, uh, he hired an associate pastor, and if he had called the reference... On it, he would have found out that this guy in the previous church had spread all kinds of rumors and lies about the senior pastor and got his senior pastor fired and moved on. And so guess what that guy did when he came to my cousin's church? The exact same thing. I know all kinds of people that I went to seminary with who have experiences like my cousin Mike all kinds of sad stories about church. Uh, when Jenny and I were still newlyweds, we went to a wedding uh, for, uh, we went to a lot of weddings. When you're young, you go to a lot of weddings, and then it's baby showers, and then it's nothing for a while, and then it's, can't believe we're getting together at this funeral. Oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's life in a nutshell right there, okay? Soft food is in your future, okay? So, come on. So, when we were younger, we went to a lot of weddings, and one of the weddings we went to was for Mark and Stephanie, and this was in Ohio, and it was Stephanie's parents' church, and her parents had been at this church when it was just 100 people, and now at that, at that time, it was a church of 800 plus, and as happens in churches, when they get bigger, you know, you kind of develop these policy manuals and procedures, and then you got to fill out a form to use a room, and that's kind of how it was, and I will never forget that rehearsal dinner and that rehearsal that Friday night. They had a stage kind of like this one, only it was massively carpeted and high and lifted up, you know, <laughs> in front of the auditorium. And there were stands and microphones and, and music everywhere. Church had a rule. You cannot move anything on stage. And the church representative was there Friday night. And Stephanie's mom was the personality that a rule's a rule. Got to follow the rules. But boy, she was mad. This was her oldest daughter's wedding. She had served in children's ministry and youth ministry. They had given sacrificially to build the building. And you're telling her that you can't, she can't move the music stands on the stage? Now, the me of 45, I wish I could go back because, you know, what the pastor who was marrying them should have done was, 
forget about the rules, move what you want, we'll put it back, blame it on me. <laughs> It'll all be okay, but he didn't. And so three weeks after the wedding, guess what? Stephanie's parents left that church because they were hurt. When they confronted the music people, the music people were like, well, yeah, the rules are there, you can't move it. Da, 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 da. Ouch, ouch. There's all kinds of stories like that. All kinds of stories like that. A couple of years ago, or a few years ago, I got to know another dad on the swim team here at Lone Oak, and he grew up a pastor's kid, which can create issues. Jenny and I always say we're not saving for college, we're saving for counseling, <laughs> because we want to invest in what counts. <laughs> their long-term health and their ability to come home at Thanksgiving. It's really important to us. I don't care where they go to school or if they go to school. I just want them to come home for Thanksgiving, please, okay? So, so... He grew up a pastor's kid, and his dad was Mr. Sunshine at church, and then Mr. Grumpy Bear at home, and the kind of dichotomy left him with a bad taste in his mouth, so when he graduated from high school, he just kind of graduated from church. Well, this dad in his late 30s met a Lexington area pastor who befriended him. Their sons were on a soccer team together, and as a result of that friendship, he rededicated his life back to Jesus. He, dis he rediscovered that God was good and that he could trust God no matter what. And a few years ago, they went on their trip to Florida like they do every summer, and in that church, guess what happened? Same thing that happened to my cousin. That pastor was handed his hat and shown the door because there was stuff that the swim team dad just didn't know about, and when he came back, he was devastated. You fired my friend? The guy who reintroduced me to God, that was five years ago, and he has not darkened the door of a church since then, five years ago. And you know people like this, don't you? You know people who have been, quote, hurt by the church, and they walk away because of it. Um, now, for people, people like to say that they're hurt by the church, but I, I do want to make a case for something today. And, it's, and some of you might be like, eh, but I want you to hang with me through the message, okay? And I want to make a case. And the case I want to make is this. The church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. I know, you're like, that sounds like that gun thing, and I don't think I believe that either. <laughs> hang with me. The church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. When you get mad at a faceless organization, it can make you stuck, and it can and it can create all kinds of bad stuff that plays out for you in life. And so I want to unpack what happens when you and I get mad at a faceless organization and where that can go wrong and what you and I can do about it to make it right in our lives and in our hearts. And for those of you that are younger, you teens, I don't want to leave you out, you're like, oh man, grown-up world, another reason I want to stay a teenager. Well, this plays out in your world too, okay? Have you ever had a friend who was mad at the swim team or mad at the cheerleading squad or mad at band? Or, God forbid, mad at the whole school, I hate West. I hate Dunbar. And if you go back and you unpack it, what it was is that the cheerleading squad captain was Miss Jerkette and treated your friend really badly, and she got her feelings hurt. You'll have a friend who, you'll mention the name of a church youth group, and they'll go, I'm not ever going there again. Right? And that's usually, that's like a giant sign that says, hello, someone hurt me. You know, they showed up the first time, and then three people made fun of their weight, and then the youth pastor himself joined in, and they're like, forget this, eh, you know, Satan burnt, you know, and they walked away. And then they say, I was hurt by the church, but it was people 
See, people hurt people, and that's how it works. And grown-ups, it works the same way. Faceless organization. How many, how many times have you heard somebody say, I hate UK? Man, I hate UK. Really? UK is a giant leviathan like Pacific Rim <laughs> <You know? laughs> that shoots things out of its chest. <laughs> Come on. Or I, I hate Central Baptist. I hate the Y. Man, I hate the Y. Or I've heard this a lot lately. I hate Asbury. They're talking about the seminary, not the university. I hate Asbury. The university people are like, okay. Well, actually, I hate the university. No, we'll get into that, okay. Okay. Faceless organizations don't hurt people. People hurt people. And no one can hurt you more like family or friends, which is why when you're hurt in the church, it hurts a lot. Because when you're hurt in the church, you're hurt by people that you love and care about, which is why it hurts more. And I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. And understand, I'm, today I'm talking about intentional, what I call jerk hurt. When people are being mean, when they're not being Jesus-like, and they're doing, th you know, they're doing you wrong, to use that phrase. There's another kind of category of hurt that can happen in churches and organizations, and it's what I call unintentional stuff. Um, expectations, if you have expectations of something that doesn't happen, um, you know, I expected somebody to throw a baby shower for me, or I expected somebody to show up at this event and they didn't show up, or you know, things like that. And you can get hurt really badly by that. But nine times out of ten in that category of unintentional, if you actually went to the other person in the church and you're like, you know, I, that really hurt my feelings, da, 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 the other person would go, what? I'm so sorry. Holy cow. And they would actually be remorsefully sorrow. And then you'd be like, oh, well, I feel better now. <laughs> okay, but I'm, I'm now talking today about jerk hurting. That's a technical term. You can write it down and use it from here on out, okay? Jerk hurting. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18 because hurt is a part of life. It happens. And yes, I am going to use the F word. I'm going to talk about forgiveness. It's Sunday, okay? <laughs> Some of them are already like, I can't believe my pastor said that, okay? Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew, if you don't know this, is an actually a book about discipleship. If you, ever, if you hear pastors today, they like to talk about being a Jesus follower, and they don't use the term Christian anymore, or stuff like that. And, and you're like, what's a Jesus follower? How's that different from a Christian? Matthew is a how-to manual on how to follow Jesus. You want to know how to follow Jesus? Read the book of Matthew. That's what it was written for. How does this work? What, is, you know, what does it look like? Um, and so one of the things that comes up is, well, what do you do, what do, you do when somebody hurts you? How do you handle that? What's, what, how's that play out? Or, and what if they do it more than once? Okay, so that's what comes up in the context of Matthew chapter 18. Um, and I love Peter. Peter uh, is great because he always is asking these questions. And uh, Peter, uh, uh, Peter's got it covered in the sense that he's like, uh, uh, well, if this is what the law requires, then I'll do this much and I must be magnanimous you know, magnanimous about it, but let's get into it, okay? So Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, giving too much away. Here we go. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So there you go. Peter throws out a, 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 a question, and he's being generous. See, in, in Judaism, the thing that made Judaism really awesome was that you didn't have to think 
there were 600 and some commandments. Just follow the commandments. And then there were like, I don't know, 13,000 different rules and sub-rules and sub-rules of sub-rules about the, the 600 and some commandments. So the law was very specific. If somebody wrongs you, you, can, you have to forgive them. If they wrong you again, you have to forgive them. If they wrong you again, you have to forgive them. On the fourth time, punch them in the face. <laughs> fourth time, boom! Right there, no problem, walk away, you know. And so Peter, knowing this is how the law works, you know, come on, isn't the guy got class? How often, Lord, should I forgive someone? Seven times? That's like more than double the requirement. The guy's got it. He's a class act. And here's Jesus' response, which in the book of Matthew always is like, what? Okay, so no, no, verse 22, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Yeah, that's the what? <laughs> not the answer that Peter was expecting. In other words, countless times, Peter, you should forgive. Huh? Yep. So let's get into what Jesus says here. Um, he tells a story, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors, who was brought in, who owed him millions of dollars, uh, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Not on your life. Then the master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave the debt. So here, uh, in, in, this, in the Greek, it's 10,000 talents. Um, if you do the math and you do all this weird formulaic stuff, you, you come up with about $2.5 billion dollars. So let's say you owed somebody. So you'd have to be like the governor of a rich state, not like Kentucky. So, let, you know, it's your state, Arizona. Let's pick one. I don't know. Are they broke too? I mean, surely there's a state doing it. Virginia, okay? You're the governor of Virginia. You owe Uncle Sam $2.5 billion. You're not going to repay it. It's not going to happen. Okay, so, and, and this guy owes an unsurmountable sum. Well, back then, the way it worked was um, if you were the person that they, you, they owed you the money, you could, oh, 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 oh throw them in jail, in prison, debtor's prison, knowing they would never pay it back. And then you could sell off all their family, cousins, cows, everything, and, you know, kind of have your just moment. Oh, oh, oh. And so that's, instead of that happening, what does the guy that is owed the money to show? He has pity and forgives the debt. $2.5 billion. It's a huge amount. Okay. No problem. Forgiven. Well, the plot thickens. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. I imagine in the voice of the guy that said, inconceivable, okay? His fellow servant fell down before him and begged a little more. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. On a sliding scale... If the little inconceivable guy owed $2.5 billion, the guy that owed him money owed him $4,000. That's kind of the comparison of the debt owed. And he's going to throw the little guy in prison for $4,000 that he won't be able to repay. Well, good news for you and me, people are watching. Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him, 
everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he, he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king, king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. The guy who was shown mercy didn't show mercy to someone else. And the king expected the way that I've treated you is the way you should be treating other people. That's the expectation in this passage. And Jesus spells it out clearly in the next verse, verse 35. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to give your brothers and sisters from your heart. So how does this play out when we're talking about faceless organizations? Well, faceless organizations don't hurt people. People hurt people. So going back to my cousin, right, cousin Mike, there came a point at which it wasn't the faceless Grace Church that did him in. It was Doc Wilson. It was Doc Wilson who had mentored him, who had paid scholarship money for him to go to seminary, who turned out to be Mr. Control Freak. And my cousin had to get to a point where he was like, okay, Doc Wilson, you were a liar. You betrayed me. You hung me out to dry. I mean, a whole list. And he got to a point where he had to make a decision. Here's what you took from me. Here's what you did to me. Am I going to forgive you for that? And so I want to lay out some steps for you and me. But the first step is identify the people you're angry with. So forget church, forget UK, forget Central Baptist, forget West Jesmond, even Lancaster. Forget them, okay? And ask yourself, who are the perpetrators? Who are the real people that have hurt me? What are their names? What did they do? So who are they? That's step one. Identify the people you're angry with. If you're not sure, if you're like, well, no, I'm pretty sure it was a church, do you ever find yourself having imaginary conversations with somebody and you're explaining things to them and they're like, I'm so sorry. That person right there who's squirming, they wronged you. <laughs> there's your sign right there. If you're having dreams, and those are the dreams you're having, there's a the sign, okay? So identify the people you're angry with. Number two, determine what they owe. You cannot cancel a debt that has no value. What did they take from you? What did they do to you? How did they hurt you? You've got to be able to articulate it. What do they owe you? And then lastly, and this is the hard part, cancel the debt. Now, today, in hearing me talk, you came in and you've got some hurt. You may only be able to do step one, or maybe step two, but you're not ready to do step three. It's okay. It's a process. But identify who the people are, Determine what they owe, and lastly, cancel the debt. And you may have to write it on a piece of paper and like ceremonially burn it or rip it or something like that. You know, I cancel this. Um, and I understand it's a process. There was somebody who really hurt me in church when I was a younger pastor. He would uh, get together with me every week, and he had a list of all the things I had done wrong, all the ways I had goofed up, all the stupid, you know, the max sucks list. That's what I called it. And every week, every week, whoop, here it goes, Max, here you stink because... Do, 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 do. And it wasn't because he loved me and wanted me to do well, it's because he thought he was better than everybody else. And it hurt, it really hurt. And I had imaginary conversations with him all the time in my head for two and a half years before I got to the point where I was like, 
You know, I, I would do the, God, I forgive, and I, and I cancel the debt, and it was like, you know, click my heel, click my heel, and it just didn't feel that way in my heart. But God, gracious as he is, knowing me that I was identified, articulated, and at, there came a point when in my heart he was forgiven. And I know it because sh- we were at an event at a wedding or something, this is a while back, and he showed up, and I was like, oh, hey, how are you? Didn't have any of the, uh, uh, you know, you know when you're talking to somebody in an event, on the inside, you're like, uh, burn, you know. <laughs> there's a sign, there's a forgiveness thing in play, okay? So, so, please, 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 pretty please with sugar on top. Don't get mad at faceless organizations, whether it's the church or UK or, or whatever, Understand that it's always people behind those organizations. And like the passage showed, and Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, he says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, for those of us that are Christians, for those of us that are born-again believers, we were scoundrels. God forgave us, and the expectation is that we'll forgive others who've wronged us. Now, sometimes... When it comes to offenses that have happened in the church, sometimes you get an apology, and it's really awesome. I read about a church in Indianapolis. Uh, this is about a few months ago. They, uh, they brought back two of their pastors from years past. They had an event, and people in the congregation, people who had been leaders, stood up at this dinner and apologized to these two men and their wives that they had fired, I mean, it was bad, awful stuff. One of them had left the ministry because of it. And it was a tremendously healing time. Um, and the Indianapolis Star carried the paper, because even the news, you know, the newspaper paper, people were like, this is weird, you know, what's going on here? Jesus forgiveness stuff. And it, again, it's, it's awesome when you can get an apology. I, I had breakfast with a pastor friend of mine, uh, a few weeks ago, and he relayed a story uh, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, we had served together in church, and there was this one guy, this one elder, and he was a giant. I mean, the guy was just like six foot, 15 feet tall. I'm not making that up. He was a giant. Big man. And he just, he had a resting angry face. You know, his default setting was, I'm going to hurt you. And he had this habit on Sunday mornings of barking at all the associate staff members. And he would, you know, and he was mean, and he was an elder. And you know, I remember one youth pastor after another being, "Oh, he's coming!" Oh, <laughs> you know, be like, "Okay, you can hide in my office. Go." <laughs> one of those guys. Well, you know, he did his damage, and he did all this stuff, and it was just awful, awful jerk. And he left the church years ago. And two years ago, he called this pastor buddy of mine and said, "I, I want to make an appointment with you." He came in and basically, hey, you know, when I was here, I was a jerk. And I wasn't very Christ-like, and this is what I did, and this is the, these are the wrong things. Will you forgive me? Those are awesome. But what if that doesn't happen, right? I mean, sometimes it doesn't happen. For some offense, what if the apology never comes? I'm going to suggest to you that there are some offenses in the church that even if they showed up and said they were sorry, they can't give back what they took from you. That was five years of my life in Toledo, or 
That was a decade I spent away from the family of God because I misconstrued things and you were at fault, but I blamed the church and so I stayed away and I missed out on a decade because of it. I mean, sometimes there are things they can't give you back what they took. Um, so I want to encourage you, don't be mad at a faceless organization. When you are hanging out with your friends and coworkers and, they're, and they talk about being mad at church, I fully empower you. Well, you know, my pastor says churches don't hurt people. People hurt people. And they'll look at you just like, you know, okay? But work past that, okay? All right? I know what this is because uh, this is the last sermon for me in my sermon year. So today marks the last of what I planned out for 2012, 2013. And when I map this sermon out, you know, the thing about preaching is God always reveals stuff in your heart when you're preaching. So Anytime you want to be me, I full, you can come here. It's great. That gives me a Sunday off where I don't have to be convicted. It's awesome. So in preparing for this message, uh, God, you know, over the course of this year, worked on me about Asbury Theological Seminary. When I showed up as a student at Asbury, I got hurt several times by several different people. And for a dec, you know, almost two decades, I was mad at Asbury Seminary because of just really five people who are all either dead or retired now. <laughs> Five people. And, and when opportunities would come up for me to do things like a seminar or whatnot, I'd go, no, I have issues. <laughs> I know. I, I can't do anything with Asbury Seminary. Asbury University, woo, go purple. You know, no, no, not, not seminary. I was mad at a faceless organization, and I missed opportunities because I was mad at a faceless organization. And so I enumerated them, who they were and what they did. And I decided, you know what? You don't owe me anymore besides, you know, statute of limitations. Probably ran out a decade ago. So this year when the phone-a-thon called, Asbury phone-a-thon, they called to raise money. When I saw it on the caller ID, instead of not answering the way I've done for 20 years, I actually picked up the phone. And I got to hear the neatest God story from a student who's there and how God is working in his life. And I actually made a pledge right? You miss out on things when you're angry on the inside, and I want you to be free, and I want you to be free to experience all the great things that God has for you, and you can do that when you're not mad at a faceless organization.